Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. To retain market share amid stiff competition, the banking industry has to adapt to changing customer preferences and embrace digital transformation. This includes investing in new technologies, improving operational efficiency, and partnering and collaborating with third-party providers that can help build innovation at speed and scale. To become future-ready, financial institutions need to support customer journeys from the inside out and from the outside in, enabling the connection with external brands and delivering contextual solutions in real time supported by data and analytics. We have David Foyer, Chief Product Officer at Galileo, on the Banking Transform show. David shares why building an end-to-end digital platform solution is the key to digital banking transformation success. Modernizing banking is a complex product that involves overcoming a number of challenges. Some of the key challenges include legacy IT systems, data management, regulatory compliance, security concerns, and just overall cultural resistance to change. To become future ready, it is more important than ever for banks to address these challenges through careful planning, strategic collaborations and partnerships, and investment in new technologies and talent. So David, could you introduce yourself to our audience and give people a quick overview of Galileo? Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Uh, I'm Dave Foyer. I'm the Chief Product Officer of Galileo. Um, At at Galileo, we're the driving force between uh, some of North America's most successful fintech companies, such as Bluevine and DailyPay and Dave, uh, Tomo and Toast, and of course, SoFi and many more, uh, as well as the U.S. operations of some international companies like Monzo and Moneylion. We have an API-based transaction processing platform in the network that sets uh, that, that drives fraud detection, security, decision-making analytics, and of course, compliance functionality so that our clients can be ahead of the regulatory curve and really drive transaction processing at speed and scale uh, with sort of the resiliency, reliability, and uh, value-added services they've come to expect from network transaction processing. Uh, and then uh, we actually, as a part of SoFi, we acquired Technosys uh, in February 2022. Uh, And what happened was uh, Galileo offered this end-to-end network transaction processing platform, and Technosys had this next-generation digital and core banking platform that empowers financial institutions to create these very specific tailored financial products. So if you think about where we're going with the speed of commerce and sort of what customers, what interfaces customers expect, and that extends well past the traditional bank borders, right? The way we think about branch banking and into embedded finance and all these experiences uh, customers are beginning to expect from their banking uh, we actually bought Technosys because they were the best positioned company to drive those experiences. And so uh, we've got the network on one side and then the, the the database and brain on the other side. And together we're building this stack for next generation banking. You know, David, you've been involved in the banking industry for some time. What do you see as the challenges that banks have as they try to modernize their banking core, their services, and even their product offerings? So... <laughs> 
Wow, getting right into it. I think uh, banks have a number of challenges, right? The first is that banking itself is not a new endeavor, right? Banking has been been around for thousands of years. And so many of the bank processes internally are actually built with uh, with the customer's benefit in mind, as well as, you know, all, all the compliance and regulation is, of course, built, uh, built with consumer protections in mind, right? So that consumers know that they can rely on their bank and that they can reliably get service around their money. And whether it's borrowing money or or saving money or whatever their transaction is, that it's going to happen in a very reliable manner. Uh, But what happens is after many years of building these uh, highly complex and interconnected systems, whether it's because of uh, new technologies, new product development, new channels, or or, uh, regulatory compliance, the banking infrastructure has become significantly monolithic. And so what's happening is for, for 250 years under the Industrial Revolution, we had sort of this way of building banks with branches and human relationships and very specific uh, behaviors that were expected from banking products, such as credit cards and, and, and DDA accounts. And what's actually happened is since the advent of, uh, of the internet and sort of the, the API economy and the internet economy, Consumer expectations have evolved rapidly. So consumers expect their banking experience to be mobile and local and social and expect them to be uh, highly tailored to who they are because they're used to being, uh, uh, t- they're used to having tailored experiences from things like CRM databases and social media, et cetera. And so we're seeing consumer expectations leapfrog the infrastructure in the bank and the regulatory compliance processes in the bank that are meant to safeguard those consumers. And so there's this, there's this sort of um, uh, very specific tension between stability that's built into bank systems and the agility yeah. that the next generation of consumers are demanding. And I think that's the fundamental challenge is working through that stability and through that agility. And what we're trying to do is build a set of systems that a bank can adopt that say, hey, you don't have to change everything about your bank. You need to decide what you want to do from a strategy perspective. Who are the personas? Who are the customers you're trying to attract with what products? How do you plan on getting them to market? And how can we help you build that in a very customer-sensitive, modern but compliant way? You know, so well said, because you really are looking at a situation that adding to that is the fact that the compliance people are from old world banking. So it's really hard for them to get up to speed. For the first time ever, as you mentioned, the consumer's asking for more than ever from their financial institutions based on what they're getting outside of banking. So that what they see and what they hear and how they do things normally, they're saying, I want this in my banking relationships. And then the ch- another challenge I see is that financial services have been profitable. So what happens is the desire to change is there the push to change maybe isn't there because we haven't done badly in the past. So, you know, a strategic priority, obviously, for every financial institution, as we get with the digital bank report, our research, is to improve the customer's digital banking experience. Now, I tend to think that often or too often, it's more words than actions. But how does Galileo help empower banks to more efficiently acquire and onboard new customers, build better communications, and deliver better products and services? So I think, you know, the the first thing I would say is that uh, the first thing we try to do is build outside in, 
So rather than think first about the bank and the bank infrastructure, we think first about the customer and the customer experience. How do we drive empathy into that relationship? So as an example, we have this intelligent digital assistant called Connecta. And yes, Connecta works with Google Assistant and Slack and WhatsApp and SMS. And on the back end, it works with, I don't know, Sugar CRM and Avaya and Genesis and Salesforce and all the sorts of back end systems you would expect. But it's really meant first and foremost to drive empathy into the customer relationship. So, you know, something we're doing is trying to, to understand how to interact with a customer in a way that feels more natural and in a way that feels more empathetic so that the intelligent digital assistant isn't just a chat bot where it's sort of doing a search for you, but rather it's doing things like varying responses. It's maintaining a conversational flow. It's it's responding in ways that are more natural and short. And so if it understands that you as a consumer are using shorthand like you're saying okay or K instead of saying all right, it'll react in that manner. So in that way, it feels like a much more natural way of getting to the answers you want rather than a consumer going through sort of the arduous process of, of, of having that interaction be really focused on sort of a, a cold, uh, I hate to say a cold search interface. And so, you know, being able to take that same spirit of using AI for the customer advantage and for the customer experience and building that into our product stack has really created a, a place for us to, to have a unique, uh, to carve out a unique niche in banking where we can say, you know, your core needs to behave that way. Your core needs to be all about the customer. And in fact, the customer is the root of our core. It's the root of how we charge for our core. It's the root of how we think about our core. We don't think in terms of infrastructure. We think about the customer and what are the products that they need. And so as we think about, you know, uh, the, the customer lifecycle, right? So we've heard, we've heard uh, banks ask us from womb to tomb, what can you provide to a customer, right? We're thinking about the customer lifecycle holistically and really building a product around that lifecycle. And then as we think about our digital product, which is really meant to sit in front of both our core and multiple other cores, thinking about what are the experiences and interfaces that the customer expects and how can we build that into a, a value proposition that's not just a cold application, but really an application that's really tailored for whatever the bank, whatever specific personas or market segments that bank is looking to address. And so I think really bringing this customer first perspective across our whole portfolio and really driving sort of this um, this feeling that it's not about infrastructure and, and the infrastructure is, is fundamentally commoditized, but what's unique is your ability to really address customer needs at speed, at scale, and in a way in which they want to interact with you. So that for younger customers, you're able to offer them SMS. For, uh, you know, for, for a different segment of customers, let's say for baby boomers, you're able to offer something that's much more native, either through a web interface or through an app, or they can walk into your branch and, and offer assistive uh, technologies for the person that's offering the, the loan or, or whatever product it is and actually speaking to the customer. I think Really driving that customer empathy through our stack is where a huge part of our value proposition lies. And, and, and what we're seeing is that, you know, in the age of embedded finance, there's a whole bunch of different players that are saying, we've got a better relationship with our customer than our bank does. You should do your bank, you should do your banking through me and not the bank, right? And so while success can breed complacency, I think success is also breeding interest. And in the internet economy where there's all sorts of lane changing, we're seeing cell phone companies offering checking accounts, right? And we're seeing Starbucks with more money in a mobile wallet than, than most banks in the United States. And so I think there's real a, a real opportunity for, for uh 
for banks to feel that competitiveness and con- customers to really benefit from that competitive environment. You know, it's interesting, David. You, you, you're really talking about moving the experience beyond transactions into greater engagement. And the technology to do so is getting there faster than ever. And the consumer's expectations of you building engagement is there more than ever. You know, what's interesting also as we look at it, we, you know, again, we're our, our, the line is, or the baseline is being set by things like Netflix and Amazon, all these others that say, I want more interaction in my, in my daily life that's going to save me time. So it's a little bit of that pull and push moment again. But when you're talking about that, when financial institutions are trying to move from what their legacy process was, was transaction-based to engagement and conversational-based, what's the biggest challenge that you see as you meet with other financial institutions? So I think uh, that was really well said, Jim. There's tension there, right? We know that engagement drives value. Right. And so we know that, for instance, branch banks used to have wine and cheese parties so that uh, people would do commerce at the bank and the bank would naturally be the place that would facilitate that commerce through loans and guarantees and all sorts of the other things that banks do in order to facilitate, you know, corporate treasury transactions and that sort of thing. And the question is, what does that look like in the digital world? Right. I think uh, thinking about the way banks drive engagement, uh, you know, uh, I talk about this frequently, but. You know, my son, who's uh, who's 19 and in university, leaves the house with his cell phone and his uh, license. He doesn't have a wallet with him, right? Uh, the last thing he wants to do is talk to a banker or get on the phone with his bank uh, if there's a challenge, right? He'd rather send a text, get a response, and disengage quickly. And so that, that uh, transactional nature of banking that really drove uh, the larger relationships and engagement for the previous generation is really changing. And the question is, what is the sort of engagement that is expected from a bank where customers aren't forced to, to spend a whole bunch of time with their bank, but in fact, they actually want to spend that time with the bank because they're getting more out of that interaction than they would out of a simple transaction. So as an example, we're seeing banks in the, banks ask us, hey, can you look at relevant insights from the conversation that a customer has had with the bank and influence the application so that the application brings up what's top of mind for the customer when they open up the application? Because we know what their customer service requests have been in the past. Uh, you know, We know what all those requests have been about. Can you take that and put that front and center? And can we do it in a way that doesn't completely change the application so the customer loses the sort of navigation aspect, the intuitive navigation aspect of the application? And I think this is all example of using data for competitive advantage. And the question is, you know, can banks use data to better tailor the experience for the customer, not to drive a whole bunch of engagement in an artificial way to sort of keep them scrolling like a social media application would, but rather to help them get deeper insights into whatever they're trying to solve. Why hasn't the transaction settled yet? Did this person, uh, you know, did I in fact perform this transaction? You know, most people think when uh, customers reach out to a bank when there's a problem, right? Customers don't typically reach out to the bank just to check in on things in general. And so uh, most people think, okay, what's the closest way to, what's the fastest way for us to solve this problem? Because it's a cost issue. And so they think in terms of things like call containment. And I think banks uh, are losing the opportunity to actually create a very specific tailored experience to tell customers, hey, We've got you. We understand what you need, and we're going to provide a whole suite of tools and capabilities that allow you as a bank to position yourself as being there for the customer, being reliable. And that means 
respond to a customer in a way that that they expect. And that, again, I think that's that's radically changing as we see this next generation of customers have a completely different expectation around their experiences. So that's a really long way of saying, I think the tension you point out is correct. I think, you know, uh, driving engagement while solving this transactional problem very quickly is, is at odds. But I think it's not necessarily about can you solve the problem quickly, it's how can you solve the problem in the deepest, most informative way. So you're educating the consumer, you're giving them insights, and you're using their own data, not against them to to offer them or sell them, but rather for them to say, hey, instead of taking on credit card debt, why don't you try this new buy now, pay later product or this save now, pay later product? How can we take all of our, our products and you know present that to you? And that's really where we started with Connecta and said, okay, can we get AI uh, to use transcripts and, and history of interactions to really drive a very empathetic customer experience? And then driving that back into the rest of the portfolio has been super exciting for us. And it's something that banks have really reacted to because banks know data is important. Banks know the relationship with the customer is important. I think being able to create that sort of uh, connection there, that connect, connective tissue is really important as banks take their muscle memory from branch banking and bring that into the internet era. You know, it's interesting. The cloud gives us the capability to store, manage, and process data all the way across the entire customer journey to capture that and know where a customer is at any time. That capability integrated with the ability to quickly decide where a person is in their life cycle or what they're doing at any time. You know, we're already seeing that in in the way our, our listening devices, be it the phone or the Alexa device, whatever, listens to everything and then prompts us with things that, yeah, you may be a little spooked out by it, but basically it saves you time and it can save you money while at the same time giving you a value transfer, which is really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the thing that that says, are you providing value for this relationship beyond simply doing the, the back office transactions? You know, we, we can't get into the whole idea of engagement without talking about the elephant in the room, conversational AI, which certainly got a, a name for itself more than ever outside of the tech stacks and people that are doing this stuff on November 30th with OpenAI's ChatGPT. When a bank decides that they want to integrate a, a a broader form of conversational AI than simply a chatbot. What should their focus be? Where should they start? Okay, there's a lot in that question, right? I think, uh, you know, the first thing is, does a bank really want a chatbot or do they really want an intelligent digital assistant? And I know it may sound like I'm, I'm playing some word games here, uh, but they're actually very different, right? So right. if you think about uh, chatbots, there's sort of these automated programs that interact via text uh, or maybe through auditory means. But that was sort of that cold search-like interaction that I was referring to, uh, which we've had since you know the 90s. I don't know if you remember Dr. Spazzo, but there oh, used yeah. to be these kind of uh, really boring, cold chat interfaces that were uh, you know, really excited when when you know the the 486 and the Pentium processor first came out, and you know, uh, sort of old school computing. But what we can actually do is create this this experience that recognizes voice and text and knows when to provide this AI or human based support based on the way the conversation is going and the tone that the client is taking. And so I think you know the first thing I would I would recommend to a bank is sort of think about what experience they're trying to drive and and what 
what you want to invest time-wise into cost savings versus driving new value proposition to customers. And I think what most banks will find is that the cost savings uh, is relatively equal in terms of call containment and let's say, you know, times uh, uh, bankers or agents have to spend on the phone with the customers. I think that the real question is, do they walk away, do customers walk away from the interaction with a higher sense of loyalty towards a bank and a higher, uh, a higher brand attitude towards that bank bank as being modern, adaptive, and sort of that bank has my back versus they walk away and say, wow, that bank's technology is just like every other old bank's technology. And frankly, if they could have just gotten me to the human faster, then uh, that human could have solved my problem faster, right? So I'd, I'd say that's that's really the, the first piece that a bank has to choose. I think the other thing that, that banks should think about is to what extent is it important to create an omni-channel interface across all of your customer touch points. And so can a, can a bank say, I have a chatbot, I have an app, I might have an Amazon Alexa application or an Apple Watch application or some other uh, sort of ecosystems that I play in order to be available for customers. And then of course I've got tellers that customer can, customers can come talk to in branches, or maybe I don't, but I've got live humans that may be available to chat as needed as a, as a tier two sort of escalation point. And so how can I how can I create a consistent customer interface so that those that customer's needs, who that customer is, is front and center no matter what interface that customer is using? In the days of branch banking, it was really easy because the customer got to know the personalities that worked at the bank. The bankers got to know the customers, and so there was a real relationship there. And so how do we break down the walls of sort of the cold digital interface between the customers and the bank so that as a bank looks across all of their omnichannel capabilities, that customer is getting a consistent experience and feels as if they and their needs are front and center as a part of that interaction. And so uh, to get started, I would say it's those two things. It's how do I really want to create an interface that drives loyalty and that drives a great experience so that uh, so that at the end of the day, half the time when I call a bank uh, and I have multiple bank accounts because, of course, I have to have these experiences, I feel as if the person I'm talking to is simply typing into a search engine the same way I could have. So how do we avoid that and really, really get the customer the answer they need quicker and in a better uh, empathetic manner? And the second is, how can I create this omnichannel interface so that we keep the customer and their uh, and their needs front and center? And I think if we start to think through that, then we start to think about making AI and making data a key part of the value proposition of the bank and a key part of addressing customers' need, customer needs. And so th- those are the questions that I would start asking to get started on this journey. You know, it's going to be interesting because you've used ChatGPT, I've used it, and, and I find that the format of the question drives the the quality of the answer. And I think we're going to start to see, especially in financial services, conversational AI actually asking follow-up questions to be able to refine what the customer is actually asking for. Because we as customers don't always ask the things we're trying to find out. And those follow-up questions are gonna be really key in building better content responses and to be able to point them in the right direction within the financial institution. I'm, I'm quite impressed with the way Capital One, for instance, manages how a customer can select a credit card. They really show, they ask you certain questions, they put you in a certain category and say, these are the cards we look for. But let's go a step further and look at, you know, how your your credit rating. Let's say a customer says, how do I fix my credit rating? Well, this doesn't look like a product sale opportunity. What is this a real interga- interaction conversational opportunity, which builds loyalty, 
but it's going to probably need some follow questions. I think we're really going to see some really interesting integration between the response content and follow-up questions to get to know more. And, and as you referred to, the ability to then capture that information and keep it on file so you don't go back and retrace old footsteps. And I think that's what the cons consumer really gets frustrated with when they got to reteach and reteach and reteach their financial institution. So when we start talking about trends and opportunities, what do you see as far as the trends and opportunities with regard to conversational AI? And what are you preparing for? Yeah, so uh, I think there's a few areas in which we really see uh, uh, opportunities to advance uh, AI technology to help drive this, this kind of next generation customer relationship. You know, I think the first is if we think about uh, natural language processing, really trying to understand uh, what the customer is doing and how to how to present that back to uh, how to present that back to the bank so that the search is really tailored to what the customer uh, how the customer is feeling and what the customer is doing. There's sort of the natural language processing side of things, right? And so really figuring out how, let's say, not necessarily to tailor the response to the way the customer is uh, asking the question, rather figure out what exactly the customer is trying to find out, find that out for them, but then tailor the response to sort of where the customer is and who the customer is and all yep. of that is, is super interesting. So rather than give different responses based on the way the question is asked, give the correct response, but then present it in a way that's that's appropriate to that customer. That's something that we're really trying to do. Whereas let's say, uh, you know, your challenge I think is that ChatGPT is actually answering the question very differently depending on how you're asking the same question. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that that is definitely a challenge that we're that we're looking at. I think the second piece of the challenge is uh, how do we use large language models like ChatGPT, by the way, to present conversation summaries? And that's actually something that we're doing now. Uh, we actually use ChatGPT to automate, or we can use ChatGPT to automate conversation summaries uh, in uh, in CyberBank Connecta, which is our, our our intelligent digital assistant. And I think that's been something that's a, that's been a learning experience for us. It's really great. It's an opportunity for bank to use. Uh, for use that kind of to use that kind of technology, but some banks really just aren't aren't ready for that yet, and and aren't aren't uh, uh, aren't interested, and that's totally fine. But I think that there is an opportunity in using large language models to really do the analysis and really figure out how to uh, drive new value based on sort of these these external AI engines, right? So we've got the chat history. Can we use these external AI large language models to drive? Uh, conversation uh, summaries, which help both the customer and, of course, the bank itself. Oh yeah. So I just I, I think there's one last one, right? Which is, um, you know, can the banks can can the banks use our AI to really figure out what are the key insights to present to the customer? So the first is sort of the conversational side of AI and the, the customer empathy side of AI, and that's great. And that's sort of the omni-channel approach and how you use. Uh, how you can use AI to create those interfaces and, and really naturally sort of drive the insights and in how you interface with customers. I think the second piece is really teaching or, or rather surfacing what are the key things for that customer to offer that customer based on where the customer is in their micro moment. So as an example, if we know based on two or three interactions that that customer is getting ready for a specific life event or that customer is trying to uh, trying to buy a vehicle and they're researching vehicles, right? How can I, as a bank, create a, a sort of a customer-sensitive, relevant set of offers that's not just bank loans, but maybe it's related 
relationships I have with car dealerships or relationships I have with car manufacturers and, and the, the sort of long tail of retail experiences that I could help drive to my customers as a bank that would, in the digital world, replace those wine and cheese parties where uh, customers of a bank would discover each other and start to do business in the bank. And so I think that's a third real, real way that we're using AI is to create relevant connections inside the bank and identify the micro moments customers are in so that we can turn those micro moments around and offer the customers relevant products versus finding out where they are and then putting them in sort of a generic experience. So let's go even broader on AI. Um, we've gotten into conversational and we've gotten into customer experience management, but how can all forms of AI integrate with banking solutions such as new product innovation, back office efficiencies, and actually just driving a better experience management from this context of customer support and you know product sales? Wow, hard question. Okay, I think, so So AI is nothing new, I don't think. I mean, we've known a lot of this theory and the mathematics behind oh, no. AI is, you know, k-means clustering and regression analysis and all these kinds of uh, complex mathematical concepts have been around for quite a while. I think the power of AI is that when it's combined with cloud computing and this as a service model, it really allows banks to very specifically target AI to solve specific problems and then use the, 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 the virtually infinite scale of the cloud to point all of that data and to point all of that, that number crunching at a specific problem to go solve it. So, so as, as, as banks think about leveraging AI everywhere and how they can do that, I think the first question is, you know, what question are you asking AI to solve? I think a lot of people think AI is sort of this needle in a haystack thing where, where there's a haystack of data and like it can go find the needle. But I think AI is much more about, hey, do I have a problem that I need to figure out how to answer that using patterns and pattern analysis, I can go answer? And so the way we see it at Galileo is that um, AI is something that should be a part of the way banks simply do business. It's a part of their stack, the same way banks think about a banking core and an application and a general ledger and all those sorts of pieces of banking infrastructure. They should be thinking of AI as kind of a key part of their banking infrastructure. I think the way we see it is that it should be a part of, uh, of every layer of the stack, but that banks really need to be thinking of what is the customer problem I'm trying to solve and how can I use AI to solve that problem? You know, too frequently in my conversations with banks, the, the questions they're asking are sort of like, how can I get to the extra 7% of value? How can I create an offer that gets to the most relevant customers? And those are good questions that need to be answered and something I'm more than happy to engage with customers on. But I think at the end of the day, what customers really want when it comes to value is to get things like relevant offers so that as they're looking to borrow money, they, they need access to liquidity uh, through lending. And so, you know, what, what are their options and what, are, what makes the most sense for what their credit score is, where they are in life, how much they're looking to borrow and all of that. And I think too frequently um, uh, we see banks sort of borrowing uh, concepts from, let's say, the retail world where offers are sort of spray and pray because despite having a CRM database, for the most part, uh, retailers really don't know all that much about their customers. In banks, we know all kinds of things about customers. And we're seeing banks make ever more intelligent assumptions and heuristics around, uh, let's say, uh, uh, loans and just 
customers' situations in general, because the banks sit in the middle of all these inter- of these inflows and outflows and see these interactions and can say, oh, they're getting regular direct deposits from multiple different sources. Uh, this is somebody that, that does not that, that we're not concerned about from an employment perspective. So I think uh, I think by starting and saying what is the customer problem I'm trying to solve, and then looking at how to answer that from an omni-channel perspective and saying at every point in my stack, am I really thinking about where's the data, where's the AI, and am I being customer sensitive enough? I think that's sort of the, the next generation of how AI is going to come about and really address banking needs. And I think you know we're well on that path, uh, as well as many other companies uh, and banks that we've talked to. So it's, it's a super exciting time. Uh, and especially with cloud computing and being able to run all this as a service, banks don't have to worry about, well, what if I have a spike in customers, and then I have way more transactions than I can handle or way more data than I can handle. It's sort of like a lot of this stuff is available as a service. The bank just has to decide what problems it's trying to solve, and then we can talk about how we can help there. So getting into that and in, in what Galileo does, you can really help build the back office technologies to be future ready. How do you support what is now a greater speed and need for scalability in the marketplace? Yeah, so I think there's a couple ways in which we specifically address that. The first is, as a company, we're an API-first company. So we try to do everything we can to reduce the TCO burden uh, of, of, our, of our clients, many of whom are banks, uh, uh, to have to install, maintain, and do the operations, maintenance, and administration of software. That's a, a heavy lift. It's hard to do, and, and frankly... A lot of banks simply don't want yet another application or set of applications with yet another pe- uh, group of people that have to run it. And so really being able to offer uh, offer software as a service, I think, is a, is a significant benefit to the banks because they simply don't have to worry about a lot of the overhead associated with installing and maintaining software. Of course, a lot of our software is available for on-premises or in a customer's private cloud if needed. But really thinking about API first and, and thinking that, we can probably scale our infrastructure and scale it smartly better than a bank can scale our software, right? Yeah. And so, so being able to offer that has been key. And so on the Galileo side, we've been an API-first company for, for, for almost two decades now. And that's uh, super exciting for us as that's become a mainstream way of adopting uh, both applications and, of course, network transaction processing services in the, in the debit world, in the ACH world, et cetera. It's sort of a natural extension of that world. Uh, in core banking, it's less so. So we see this revolution, you know, this concept of coreless banking that says, hey, I need a banking, I need banking core functionality, but I don't know if I actually need this huge monolithic piece of software. What I really need is specific capabilities. I need a DDA account. I need a specific yep. type of Very term loan. I need a revolving yeah. Co- yeah. So banks are coming to us and saying, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to replace my core, but I need an SMB lending API. I need a special type of DDA account. I want this type of CD. Can you offer me that as an API so that I can very quickly roll out that product, get some market experience, test the market, and drive that value proposition with no software to install and, and you know removing a lot of the overhead associated with the customary way of adopting software and really thinking about software as sort of this heavy on-prem infrastructure that has licenses associated with the number of users using it and, and all that stuff, right? Can we alleviate some of that using a more internet modern native model? And so a lot of the scale we think about with cloud computing is sort of the processing and memory and sort of the technology side of scale. But the way I like to think of scale is how can we unlock a bank's business so that they can run as fast as their market is demanding? 
and as fast as their risk appetite is. And so when banks want to move into a new area, they can simply come to us and we can unlock that functionality from them in the cloud very quickly and turn that around and deliver that directly to them without the overhead of the the heavy software sale, install, et cetera. Without the time element. I mean, because it really shortens this, you know, I don't think most bankers understand that these things can be implemented in a matter of months instead of matter of years. And as you stated, solving for individual problems as a starting point is a good way to put your toe in the water, but also to solve those problems quickly. Because if you try to solve them as part of a broader measure, you'll never get to the the actual solution. Yeah, so 100% correct. And I I think a lot of what what we're challenged with is a lot of the banks have uh, aging cores, aging digital interfaces that they do need to replace and or, or they need to significantly augment. And so it's not about one or two APIs, it's about a hundred. And it's about a risk model that really expects the bank to, to not just leverage uh, uh, banking as an, uh, the banking core as an API, but really to manage all the interfaces themselves and manage the software and database, uh, in fact, themselves. And so of course we have to offer on-premises solutions. And of course we have to uh, not just accommodate, but directly address those customers. So I, I don't want anybody to think that that somehow we're only offering APIs, right? Right, right. But I, it just when we think about software and scale, we think about the future. I don't think the future looks like uh, banks running thousands of applications, which is what banks do today. I think the future uh, looks like banks both creating ecosystems through their unique offer and plugging into third-party ecosystems like we talked about Apple Watch and Amazon Alexa to really be where a customer expects them to be in that customer's flow. And then on the flip side, really leveraging ecosystems and plugging into ecosystems as it makes sense, whether it's emerging standards like FedNow for real-time payments or whether it's other third-party systems for liquidity analysis and and lending. Uh, And so so as we think about the internet economy and we think about the internet facilitating this, this ecosystems world, right? Can we help banks accelerate their participation and development of ecosystems by quite literally treating ourselves and the banks as ecosystems partners that can go to market together and and where we can offer APIs just like, you know, Amazon would with Alexa or or Apple would with Apple Watch? Let's say you're the chief innovation or information officer, whatever you want to be, but you're, you're in charge of updating an organization's tech stack. And that's on everybody's agenda right now. As a person within that finance division, where would you start today? I would start by asking, why are you updating the tech stack? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And sorry, going back to the product side, right? That's where I started. So what are we trying to solve for? I think in most cases, when I talk to CTOs and CIOs at banks, the problem they're trying to solve for is it inevitably comes down to my tech stack is holding me back. I can't develop the products I need or the experiences I need because my tech stack cannot evolve quickly enough to meet those needs. And so if you think about doing process modeling in a first generation core versus a third generation core, and you think about scaling, you know, we had just mentioned real-time payments. If you think about scaling for the needs of real-time payments, if you look at markets like UPI in India and PIX in Brazil, you know, the banking cores are failing the banks because they simply can't keep up with the number of transactions that come, the the exponential, the S-curve of transactions that come from real-time payments networks. And that's because the banking cores were never built for that. And so this whole need for third-generation core 
cores that allow for not just innovative, innovative product development and delivery, but also that allow for scaling up certain components as needed or splitting cores as needed and doing all these cool, innovative things that are going to be necessary in order to really participate and take advantage of the internet economy. I think those are the sorts of problems that CIOs are telling me they're having and then asking, you know, asking, hey, how would you solve it, right? And I think sometimes the answer is a, a rip and replace strategy that says we need, you know, uh, a good amount of time to sit there and really go through the products you have and the products you, you want to keep and where your value proposition is and replacing your core. But sometimes it's really saying, okay, well, you've got these three products that you haven't been able to launch and that's what's causing you to rethink all this. How can we get you the ability to take those three products and get them to market right away and then figure out either a core augmentation strategy or a core migration strategy over time so that it works with what, so, so that you're operating at the speed that uh, that the market demands versus at the speed that your business can keep up with. And so I think that's the question is what problem are you trying to solve and how can we go about partnering to solve it? And I think more often than not, the answer is uh, the answer greatly varies depending on the size of the bank, depending on the opportunity, and of course, when it comes to embedded finance and sort of uh, many of the fintechs, they might not even have a banking license, and so they're looking to do, let's say, servicing without origination, or they're looking to uh, specifically create banking type experiences without being a bank, and so uh, sometimes a core is needed, but sometimes. Uh, less than a course needed, and it's really just a digital experience, or it's really just how can I create that customer interface so that I can be there when customers need me for a specific, a specific thing or a specific set of things. Starting with that problem, and 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 I like to say that's outside in, right? Starting yeah. with the customer and the customer's experience and the customer problem is the best way to build a technology stack that maintains business optionality and technology optionality because you immediately see the value as opposed to building yet another monolith of technology infrastructure that says, well, if I build it, the customers will come. And I think we all know what happens in that scenario. Or, or trying to solve a, you're trying to put a solution to something you don't have a problem for. Um, right. So you get in front of a lot of financial institutions and what Galileo provides is really a very flexible, iterative uh, model of, of updating the, the tech stack and the capabilities and the interactions. When you meet with financial institutions, you provide them with your solution. What gets in the way of them actually implementing either your solution or another similar solution in the marketplace? What makes them not move forward? I think more often than not, it's a strong desire. I, I think I, I actually, I'm going to break this down to two specific areas, right? The first is a strong, a very specific idea of a problem that needs to be solved. Uh, but, uh, but in fact, when getting into the details, the problem is much too complex. Uh, and even though it can be articulated as one problem, uh, in fact, it's multiple problems having to do with multiple legacy pieces of infrastructure that are maybe in a, in a state of flux. Uh, and so there are other areas that have to be updated in order to accommodate, right? So as an example, we talk about uh, being able to offer an omni-channel experience uh, using this, this CyberBank Connect uh, intelligent digital assistant 
Uh, so, so sometimes we see customers, uh, they're super incentivized and, and get started with us and create a couple of great experiences. And then they want to extend that experience to, let's say, another country or they want to, or, or another line of business that they might have. And in fact, that, that they're running on their own uh, very old school technology stack that, in fact, does not have APIs and has a very highly proprietary ICT system. And so it's simply not possible to, to add, to, to interact with the customer service agents on the other side of that of that interaction, because there's no entry point, right? Because they're running software that was uh, they're running software appliances that was frankly either highly customized or defined in the 1970s, and so there is no API for us to plug into, and there is no infrastructure, there's no SIP trunks. It's all sort of old school telecom stuff, and so they would have to upgrade the way that call center works in order to use. Uh, in order to use our product. And there's not much we can do in that situation other than to sit and help them uh, go through a vendor review process, understand the value proposition, and really partner with them on that, which is something that we've done in the past and we con- will we will continue to do. Uh, but that's certainly one of them, right? Where, uh, where the solution works great, they're super happy, and now they want to expand it, but they recognize that there's other challenges uh, that they have to solve in order to get to that point. Because... Uh, because many banks are islands of different technology and all those technologies have different capabilities. So I think that's one of them. You know, I think the other reason uh, the products fail is, uh, is there's frequently a, uh, a component of the bank where uh, there's misaligned incentives. And so we still have quite a bit of roles uh, where people are actually uh, owners of infrastructure as opposed to owners of application and application experiences. And so rather than thinking of themselves as sort of, I own the customer chat experience or I own call center or, or, or I own the application, right? It's sort of like I own uh, you know th- this piece of infrastructure and I have the experts in this piece of infrastructure. And so, uh, so without being able to empower people to really say, hey, you may not own this infrastructure, you're gonna own a new piece of infrastructure, but in fact, that infrastructure is, is better and has a, a much richer set of functionality that allows you to have a greater impact on the bank, that sort of organizational behavior and organizational challenge can get in the way. So, uh, you know, as I talk to CIOs and CTOs, frequently the personalities uh, start to come out. And, and, and what I found is by and large, the even those personalities that own the infrastructure very much want to change. They want to embrace change because they immediately see the value and the impact it can have on customers. I think they struggle with seeing how it would fit into their specific career and career goals and career description. Uh, and that's something that we work through together. But that's another challenge that we see that the the way we the way banks are set up uh, is very old school. And so many of them are struggling to kind of create this new sense of ownership and empowerment that we see in the the DevOps culture of kind of technology forward companies. David, thank you so much for your time today. You know, it's been very interesting because it really, it gets down to, we all have the desire to change. It sometimes is a lot harder than we expect it to be. And, and it takes a commitment, um, top-down commitment. Again, thank you very much. And before we get off the line, how do people get a hold of you and Galileo? Ah, thanks for asking, Jim. So uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, galileo-ft.com, and go to the Contact Us form. I believe it's part of the, the company dropdown, and they can just uh, submit their information, and that's a good way to get to me or anybody else on my team. Uh, we'd love to work with you, and, and, and hopefully we can help you solve your problems. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thanks, Jim. Great being here. 
Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We really appreciate the support we've received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research you're doing on the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, a modernized back office platform is the key to tomorrow's customer engagement success. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.